Thank you very much, Gina. Let's just pray. Father, we do thank you for just being part of the world in which we live. We thank you for the vision that you've given to Gina. We thank you particularly for Sarah and the trust and the relationships that have grown there. We pray your favour on her. And uh, we pray for Gina as she continues this vision, that you will enlarge it, you will multiply it, and you will provide for her in every way. Father, we ask now that as we come to your word, you would just open our eyes to see what you have to say to us. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read today from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 3. We're carrying on with our series on Easter, and uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 3 to 8. It's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, Paul, also, as to one abnormally born. It's interesting that today during our worship, one of the uh, themes that's come out is, is getting things in the right order. And we're going to look at a number of the resurrection accounts. And it is always been odd to me, I suppose I've never really studied it that much, but just pulling this together today, the way the different authors of the gospel story tell the story of the resurrection. But first, I want to get us a little bit into the atmosphere of Jerusalem after the resurrection. Now, Jerusalem had a population of between 40 and 60,000 at the time of Jesus. It was multiplied in population because of the number of people that had come to the Passover, but many of them were on their way home. Now, I, most of my, although I grew up in Hastings, most of my wider family lived in villages. And I can remember one day going to my aunt's house and we went to a sort of village fairy type thing and we were talking with a number of the people at the fair, at the sort of, this event. And they were talking about the guy that had murdered his wife and then committed suicide. And they were just gossiping about it, um, why it had happened, how it had happened, etc. And it was like, well, I haven't heard anything of this. Oh no, it was 10 years ago. But to them, it was the big news over 10 years. Because <laughs> not a lot happened in the village. And one of the things that we have these days is this constant flow of news. So over the weekend, many of us would have been quite stirred by this Russian missile attack on this block of flats in Odessa. 
Now, I don't want to minimise this at all. It is a significant change of tactics, and it's obviously for the eight people that died and their families, etc. It's a big thing. And that's what a lot of us have heard. Do you know the average number of people dying in the UK in the last seven days from COVID is 270? But what's been in the news? Eight people from Odessa. And you see how the news just is constantly changing. It's, if you li listen to our news now, it's like COVID is over. Yet most of us know more people with COVID than we've ever known because it's not in our news. Now, this is not what it's like in a, in a small village, in a place where there isn't a constant change of news. So I don't know about you, but Easter Sunday was last Sunday, and that's like a light year away already, partly because I'd just come back from holiday, and that seems even further away, because life just moves so quickly. But the atmosphere of Jerusalem, They'd seen this triumphant procession. They'd seen this king arrive on a donkey. Then they see him crucified. Now the news is getting out that this guy is no longer dead, but he's alive. And remember, we had a little bit of the story of the two guys on the road to Emmaus, and they meet with Jesus after the resurrection. They say to Jesus, are you the only one that doesn't know? And what I want to try and draw us into this fact that around Jerusalem what happened over the Easter weekend was going to be talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks. For most of us, Easter Sunday has happened. I've eaten my Easter egg, it's gone. Service is gone, we've moved on. But what the, what the Gospel writers show us is the story goes on. And it's just fascinating how it unfolds. So on Easter morning, Mark 16, 1-8, you find Mary Magdalene and a group of women go to the tomb. And they're expecting to find a big stone there and they're wondering how it's going to be rolled away. They've got the Roman guards there. But when they get there, the stone's gone and there's just an angel. And the angel says to them, look, Jesus, who you're looking for, has risen. Now, I don't want to criticise God in any way. But if I was Jesus, I would have liked to have been there to announce it. Hey guys, I'm back. But he wasn't, he left it to an angel. So the guy, the women have no evidence. All they have is this angel telling them, Jesus has risen from the dead. And he says, go and tell the other disciples. So most of them run off. Mary Magdalene stays. The other women go to Peter and John, well, they go to the disciples, and Peter and John run to the tomb. And uh, I saw a cartoon today, actually, it was on Facebook, and it was of Peter and John at the tomb. And Peter was like, beat you, John! And John's saying, but who's ever going to know that you won? <laughs> For those that know their Bible, we all know who won. Peter did. He got to the tomb first. 
Oh, is it John? John or Peter? And then they go in. Tomb is still empty. But the folded clothes, so you've had an angel announced to the women, the resurrection has happened. Peter and John go into the tomb and they see the folded clothes. They know what Jesus was wrapped in when he was laid in the tomb. And there's the wrappings. Presumably, blood-stained. In my mind, they're always bright white. In the old days, they would be personal white. Other detergents are available. But I presume they weren't. They would have been blood-stained, but they were neatly folded. It says of John that at that point, he believed Jesus had risen. It doesn't say that Peter said Peter did, but he still didn't understand from the scriptures that the resurrection was meant to happen. Mary Magdalene is still there. Peter and John leave. John thinks, yet yeah, Jesus has risen from the dead. Mary Magdalene is still there. She's crying and weeping. She's wondering where the body is. And this man comes. and says, what are you looking for? He said, I'm, I'm looking. Can you tell me where you have taken the body? See, at this point, she's still not convinced. John is, yep, the resurrection has happened. I've seen the clothes. Mary's never gone into the tomb. And she's like, where's the body? I still don't get it. Where's the body? She thinks she's talking to a gardener. But Jesus just says to her, Mary, Mary. And for those of us that know Jesus, it's just, it's so moving to think that at some point Jesus said, David, he said our name and called us into his kingdom. He saved us. Although he knew us from before the foundation of the world, although he knew every little thing, every thought, every action that we'd done that was opposed to him, he still came to us and said, David, and saved us. And then, as Nikki says, changed us. The moment Jesus says, Mary, she falls to the feet, falls at his feet. My Lord, my God. Jesus finally reveals himself. He wasn't there at the empty tomb. He wasn't there for Peter and John. He was there for Mary, the first person that he revealed himself to. Mary, I'm alive. But at this point... Mary's seen a few resurrections already, as we mentioned last week. She was there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. So this was just another rising from the dead. This was, he was so pleased. Like most of us, we probably wonder why, having spent three years with Jesus, didn't she recognise him? So what did he really look like? No idea. <coughs> then... 
she goes back to the disciples. Meanwhile, two of the disciples have sort of given up. They've gone for a walk to Emmaus, another village. Jerusalem would have been pretty full still. This is still the first day, so just after the Passover. Restaurants would have been pretty full and busy, hotels full, emptying over the next couple of days. And they go for a walk to Emmaus when a mystery figure joins them and says to them, you know, what are you talking about? And they say, oh, we're talking about prophet. We thought he was king. We thought he was going to save the world. We thought he was going to be the answer to, to everything. We thought he was going to lift up Israel once again. But they crucified him. But now some of our guys have come back and said he's, not, he's, he's risen from the dead. We don't know whether Mary had got back to, back to them. So they, they were lost. And for those who know the story, Jesus then walks with them. And he says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he told them, explained to them how the Saviour was to come, was to suffer, was to die, and was to rise from the dead. He explained to them, he revealed the truth from the scriptures that Jesus was to rise from the dead. And then having done all of that, they go to break bread together, as he had done on the Last Supper. And as he does that, suddenly they realise, this is Jesus we're talking to. And the moment they realise it's Jesus, he disappears. <laughs> An angel has announced the resurrection. The clothes have revealed the resurrection. Jesus has revealed himself to Mary and now he's taught the truth of the resurrection from the scriptures to, the to these two disciples and then he shows himself. Slowly on this day, the truth is unravelling that Jesus has risen from the dead. And then, in John 20, I shall just read this, John 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, forgive them they are not forgiven. A rather complicated set of instructions which we're not going to look at. Particularly as I have jumped, because we're meant to be on Luke 24, aren't we? That's it, Luke 24. Sorry about that. That's what comes of not being a good reader. Jump around. Luke 24. 
and 46. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and told them this is what he'd written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what the Father has promised but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power. Jesus now reveals the purpose of the resurrection that forgiveness of sins should be preached. But there was now a way back for forgiveness, for the lifting of guilt and the lifting of shame. The old sacrificial system was now put to one side and Jesus had been the perfect sacrifice and now forgiveness of sins was possible. And then in John 26, as we just read, Jesus reveals the breadth of the resurrection by saying it's to go to everyone. John 20, 26 is a week later. So Jesus has turned up, gone into a locked room, spoken to the disciples, told them that now forgiveness of sins is possible. And then there is a week. Thomas wasn't with the disciples, we don't know where he was. And he has said at that first meeting, I'm not going to believe unless I see the marks in his hand touch them. For a week, Thomas is with the disciples. They've seen Jesus. They've heard him reveal that he was going to rise from the dead, that it's all part of God's plan and purpose. And Thomas is still stuck because he hasn't seen the hands and the feet and the wound in the side of Jesus. The whole of Jerusalem is, is talking about this momentous event. This king that has come, this king that has been crucified, this king who some are saying he's risen from the dead. Some of the disciples have seen him. Some of them haven't. What is going on? And Thomas is one of those who hasn't. And he stated, I ain't going to believe until I see. In verse 24, a week later, now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have 
believed or will believe. Jesus reveals the breadth of the resurrection that was not just for those who saw, but for those who haven't seen. And if today you've been wondering what it's all been about, and you're thinking, if only I could see Jesus, if only we would show himself to me, Jesus says you are particularly blessed, happy, fulfilled, if you believe without seeing him. If you believe on the evidence of the words written in the Bible, believe on the evidence of the words spoken to you by your friends, believe because suddenly you've realized, I'm not here to serve God, I can't please him, but he's here to serve me through his death, resurrection, and as we'll hear in a couple of weeks, his ascension. Thomas came to believe. And then there's one other in John 21, verse 6, which again I've always struggled a little bit with. But I've suddenly realised this is where Jesus showed he was human and he was divine. <coughs> the disciples were still a little bit bewildered. And to be honest, when I read the resurrection, I'm a little bit bewildered because where does Jesus keep coming and going from? <laughs> Who else does he go to see? What does he do? There are so many questions we don't know and we're not told. So they think, so Peter says, well, I'm going fishing. I mean, I still struggle with that. Why would you go fishing? <laughs> but anyway, he goes fishing and takes a few disciples with him. And uh, they're fishing. They've not caught anything. And suddenly, John sees this guy on the beach. He says, hello. John goes, hello. And the uh, guy says, what have you been doing? He says, we've been fishing all night, but we've caught nothing. So he said, well, just go the other side. So they're like, yeah, okay. And they catch 152 fish. A figure that books have been written about. Why was it 152? And no one has an answer yet. And John looks and says, hey, that's Jesus. So Peter jumps in, swims to the shore, as is Peter's want. And then they come in and they drag the fish in. And Jesus is there. And he's already got some fish on. Cooks it. And they eat together. What goes through the disciples' mind at this miraculous catch of fish? This is Jesus. He's the one who's been doing miracles. We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him heal the blind. We've seen, we've seen sickness go in his name. We've seen him calm the storm. We've seen him multiply food. We've seen him walk on water. A couple of them, we've seen him transfigured before. This is Jesus. This is our God. But he's also the Jesus who shares fish with them and food with them. And in this, he reveals his humanity and his divinity. The God who will sit and eat with us. The God who will create a miraculous pool of fish. 
Paul writing about the resurrection, as we read earlier, said he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Peter, Cephas, and then to the twelve. We don't know, there's no, there's no record of that meeting of Peter and Jesus. And uh, because he's writing in this cultural context, I'm sorry about this, but basically the women, the fact that they'd seen Jesus didn't count, really. <laughs> it was about whether the men had seen him. Sorry about that. If it had written today, women would have been in there, I suspect. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters. So most of them are still living. But when Paul wrote, some of them had died. The accounts of the resurrection unfold the revelation that Jesus had risen from the dead and was now alive. Unfolded perhaps because it would have been too much for them to take in all in one go. Unfolded because he revealed more and more truth about himself, about the plan of God, about the purpose and about the way forward. The resurrection of Jesus was a momentous event that would have had the whole of Jerusalem gossiping for many, many months. Later on, we'll read about how that gossiping was used by God to reap thousands into his kingdom. Jesus revealed himself to the disciples in the same way that he has revealed himself to us a little at a time, but in a perfect and right order. We have a great saviour, one who loves us, cares for us, but more than anything else, has conquered death, has conquered guilt, has conquered shame, has taken all our wrongdoing. And now, as we are still only partway through the story, but the end of the story, he is seated in heaven far above all authority and power and given a name that is above every other name and who is working out his eternal purposes in your life, my life and the life of the world. We have a great saviour. Amen.